according to His promise. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again, if you would, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. We should finish chapter 1 this morning because we have arrived now at verse 14. In many ways, the chapter division is unfortunate. And uh, I wasn't around back when they put chapters and verses in the Bible, and no one really asked me. Um, but if uh, had I been around and had I been asked, uh, I would not have put a chapter division in between verse 14 of chapter 1 and verse 1 of chapter 2. In fact, I think chapter 1 and chapter 2 should go together as one comprehensive development of the superiority of Christ over the angels. And I've been trying to stress the emphasis there uh, that uh, showing the continuity and the context for all things angelic, not only in chapter 1, but also throughout chapter 2. I'm going to do so again today. I'm going to do so again next week when we actually move into chapter 2 and we start to deal with uh, principles in verses 1 through 4 that I think get misapplied. Uh, very unfortunately. And so if we do our work well today, then uh, what follows then next week in verses 1 through 4 should, uh, should be uh, pretty straightforward. So uh, verse 14 says, are they not all ministering spirits set out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? And you'll notice the angels are not among those who will inherit salvation, but they are the servants towards those who will inherit salvation. And we want to be clear on that, that uh, the angel of the Lord did not go to the cross, but the God-man went to the cross. Jesus Christ in His humanity, in the days of His flesh, humbled Himself even to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so these uh, fundamental principles of Christianity are going to be uh, coming into very vivid focus in, uh, in these verses, particularly in verses uh, 1 through 4, because we have the first of five warnings in the book of Hebrews coming up. It's verses 1 through 4 here of chapter 2. And these warnings get abused, and they get by Arminian theology and other groups that take these warning passages and try to scare people into thinking that they can lose their salvation that they can lose eternal life. And so I'm going to tell you today, I'm going to tell you next week, I'm going to tell you every time I see you, (laughs) you cannot lose your salvation. If you are born again by faith in Jesus Christ, you right now today have eternal life. And that can never be lost. Eternal is eternal. So if you have it, you will always have it. And that's the, uh, the promise from the Scriptures. And we want to be very clear on that. All right? Before we get started this morning, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Let's humble ourselves before the Father. Let's ask Him to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning thankful for Your truth. Thankful, Father, that You are the God of truth, that Your Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. That, Father, He indwells each one of us so that we can worship in spirit and in truth. Father, I thank You for the blessings we have to assemble on this day, that we live in a land of freedom, that uh, we have the blessings of freedom so as to assemble together without fear. Father, we are in a public building with a sign out front, with a website 
telling all the world who we are and where we are. And Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the public witness in this in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, for a public witness in this lost and dying world that uh, we are those who name the name of Christ. And we do so here this morning, studying to show ourselves approved, calling upon your faithfulness, Father. You will teach us because you desire for us to learn. And so we come humbly asking for you to open our eyes and to instruct us in these things. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen. All right, so we're dealing with all things angelic. And uh, as you've seen the structure of chapter 1, and we've taught it already, there is a powerful prologue in the first four verses. And that powerful prologue introduces the chapter, but it really introduces the book. And going through the, the depths of doctrine that are in those first four verses, we notice that the conclusion to that prologue centers on the angels. Having become as much better than the angels... Now understand that. Jesus Christ came to this world. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived his perfect life. He went to the cross. He died. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He ascended to the Father's right hand. And when he arrived at the Father's right hand, he received a lot of things, okay? Including things that aren't mentioned in this verse. He uh, became a merciful and faithful high priest, okay? And we'll see that in later chapters. We'll see that in later developments. We're going to see that in chapter 3. We're going to see that in chapter 4 and 5. We're going to see the superiority of Christ over Mosaic law and over the Old Testament. All of that's coming up. But none of that gets mentioned in Hebrews 1.4. It says, when he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So we need to understand, we should study a comprehensive study of everything Christ has received by virtue of his victory, by virtue of his exaltation, because there's a long list of things that he has received, including he has received the right to break open the seven seals. He has, uh, you can study Revelation and learn about that. There's a scroll that he's entitled to take from the Father and start breaking those seals and executing judgment upon this earth. He has authority to break those seals because of his victory at the cross and his ascension to the Father's right hand. All right? That's not in this passage. That's not in this chapter. He's the head of the church. We are his body. We are his bride. It's given to him to be seated at the Father's right hand even as we are seated at the Father's right hand. It's a beautiful doctrine. It's not in this verse. All right? He's entitled to the throne of David. He's entitled to sit on David's throne. He's entitled to land on the Mount of Olives and rescue the Jewish people when all the armies of the earth have Jerusalem surrounded. And he has the right to claim the throne of David and to sit on David's throne in Jerusalem and to rule this world on the throne of David. He has every right to that. But that's not mentioned in this passage here. Okay? And so I'm giving you an assortment of things that Jesus Christ is entitled to because of his victory at the cross and his ascension to the Father's right hand. And so he has all of these things available for him, but the only thing mentioned in verse 4, the one item that closes the prologue is his superiority to the angels. And so it's that subject that gets started for the rest of chapter 1 and for all of chapter 2. All right? And we see it here. And so um, when, he, when the author of Hebrews then begins to prove his case, 
It's like a lawyer who makes a, an introductory argument before the jury and before the judge, and he says, here's what I'm going to prove. Then he's got to lay out his evidence. Okay? And so the author of Hebrews makes this powerful statement at the beginning, verses 1 through 4, and then he proves it. And he spends the rest of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2 proving the superiority of Christ over the angels. As we see starting in verse 5, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. All right? No angel received that declaration. No angel is the object of the promise given in Psalm 2. Or again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. Okay? No angel received that promise. All right? Even though many of the angels are themselves called sons of God, they don't have the promise that uh, they would be seated at his right hand or that they were not begotten sons. And none of them had the promise that he was going to work with them in that unique father-son relationship that he has with Jesus Christ. All right? And so we want to be clear on all of these things. And so when again he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So we have angels in verse 5, angels in verse 6, angels in verse 7. Makes the angels winds as ministers flame a fire. See, right now we got Irma sweeping through Florida. Irma might be an angel for all we know. We don't know. Is this a meteorological phenomenon or is this an angel that God has assigned for his purpose? See, not saying it is. I don't go for the sensationalism or write books or make money off of, off of this, okay? I'm just saying that there's fire that's not fire and there's wind that's not wind because they're angels and the object of God's discipline upon this world. Then um, verse 13, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand and shall I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So you see this whole chapter is dealing with angels and the superiority that Christ has over the angels. The answer to all these questions is none of them. There's not one angel that was invited to take that seat. Are they not all ministering spirits? The reason why none of them were invited to take that seat is because all of them are designed to be servants for all eternity. All of them are not to rule but to serve. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service to those who will inherit salvation. And you'll notice in the very expression there, they are not excluded. They are the servants for the ones who are to inherit salvation. That's humanity. That's us. And we're going to see more of these things expelled out in chapter 2. We're going to have, like in verse 6, what is man that you remember him? Or the Son of Man, that you are concerned about Him. And so we have the emphasis of humanity there and the purpose of angels serving us. We'll deal with that when we get to, uh, to chapter 2. Um, but we have Christ, who was made for a little while lower than the angels. And we have Christ identifying with us. And it was Christ fitting for Christ to suffer. Because Why? Because we suffer. Angels don't suffer, as far as we know. We do. So Christ identified with us, and He came to suffer. And uh, so many of these other things that are here, He did not subject, verse 5, I love verse 5 of chapter 2, He did not subject to angels the world to come. 
concerning which we are speaking. That's for humanity. All right? And so we've got a big picture here. This, these chapters should open our eyes to some huge realms of theology, some huge realms of the Bible, to understand a much bigger picture than is usually thought of in, uh, in biblical Christianity. All right? The world that was, the world that is, and the coming world. See? And so, in fact, I intended to uh, put this up as well. You know, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You've probably heard that before. Um, because this, uh, this earth is passing away. But there is a new world on the way. New heavens and a new earth are on the way. And that's what we're looking forward to. And so a lot of times we put this chart up from alpha to omega. In fact, I don't do it as much as I should. We should put this up more often. So that we remind ourselves that there used to be a world that the angels were the stewards. And they destroyed that world in their rebellion. Left that world tohu wabohu, devastated and destroyed. God had to remake that world for, habitable so that Adam and Eve could be created and, and placed there. And, then, and so when you look at this, you'll notice there is the world that was, that was the angelic world. And there's the present world, and then there's the world to come. All right? And concerning the world to come, concerning about which we are speaking, he did not subject to angels the world to come, but he submitted it to man. It is a world for humanity ruled by the Son of Man, Jesus Christ will rule in the fullness of time in in that glorious kingdom to come. And so we want to understand that. Within the present world, we have uh, man or Gentiles. We have Israel. We have the church. All right. Ultimately, we're going to have the stewardship of Jesus Christ in the new heavens and on the new earth, the stewardship of Jesus Christ and his glory. So in the world to come, what do we have to look forward to? The new, that's why I'm not worried about global warming. I'm not worried about this world falling apart. Jesus Christ controls history. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. And uh, we, can, we can be confident in that. All right. So now for this morning, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. We have a definition of what angels are now and what angels will be, what they are designed to be. Because what they are now is preparing them for what they will do when we get there. And they are, in fact, ministering spirits. So some points of study. Understand, many of the present functions for angels will lessen or decrease during the millennium and they will disappear entirely throughout the dispensation of the fullness of time. If you don't know what those are, relax, I'll explain them for you. Just write them down and think about them. There is an upcoming millennium, all right? Jesus Christ will sit on the throne of David and rule this earth for a thousand years. But then there's the next earth, the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus doesn't stop reigning just because heaven and earth pass away. He continues to reign in the new heavens, on the new earth. The Davidic throne is an eternal throne. He has an additional throne that he will claim beyond the Davidic throne. And we'll see that in the fullness of times, in the new heavens and the new earth. But during this process, all right, see the angels are here today watching. The angels have a role today learning from you and from me. Ephesians talks about their role today watching and learning and reporting and guarding and protecting. 
But many of the things they do today aren't going to be necessary. Your guardian angel will be out of a job once you have a resurrected, glorified body. You won't need a guardian angel anymore. How, uh, how fun is that going to be? When you're resurrected, glorified, bulletproof. You know, I survived one war already in my mortal body when I went to Desert Storm. <laughs> the next battle I intend to fight uh, is, is going to be Armageddon. All right? But that's going to be in a resurrected body. See? How fun is that going to be? Going to combat when you're resurrected and glorified and immortal. All right. So understand, many of the present functions for angels, they are going to lessen or decrease during the millennium, and they will disappear entirely for a thousand generations throughout that thousand generations of the fullness of time. And we'll see that. We're going to see that process. That process is described as abolishing all rule and all authority and all power. All right? So that's the point. We're going to work our way through these texts. It should be illustrated very easily. It should be a a simple concept to grasp. The idea whatever is old and obsolete is ready to disappear. Okay, that's a principle we'll have later in the book of Hebrews, but the concept gets introduced here in a way. All right, so um, I'm not going to reteach a comprehensive angelology at this point, but if you were with us when we taught angelology in our 2 Corinthians series, then uh, you've seen all of these passages already. Join me in 1 Kings 22. Old Testament now. Old Testament, 1 Kings. 22. So we got 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. 1st Kings chapter 22. And we got some interesting angelic features here that uh, exist now. They existed back in Old Testament times. They will continue to exist throughout the tribulation. They're going to start to disappear in the millennium and they'll really be gone in the fullness of times. And that is this, uh, this conflict and this argument and the uh, attacks that take place. So 1 Kings 22, verses 19 and following. Um, there's a larger context for this, but I'm gonna have, I just don't have time to get us into it. Um, there is a war about to happen in chapter 22. And the king of Israel, Ahab, is getting together with the king of Judah, uh, Jehoshaphat, right? And they're coming together, and they're going to they're gonna go to war against their enemies. And they want to know if they're going to succeed or not. And so um, they, they get the prophets together to ask, and then none of them are saved. <laughs> so Jehoshaphat says, isn't there a prophet of Yahweh we could ask? And uh, he is the God of Israel after all. And uh, so anyway, and um, it's a fun chapter, and I can get lost in this chapter teaching it. But the point is... <laughs> They're, they're getting ready to go to war, and they're going to ask God for wisdom. Are we going to win? Is this going to work? Is this a good idea? Should we do this? And they're told to do it, and they're going to do it. But behind the scenes, there's other things that are happening that these human beings have no clue about, because it involves the angels, and it happens in heaven. And that's the context for this now. And so um, in verse 19, Micaiah, this is the good prophet of the Lord, said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. All right? 
And that's one of the current situations for the angels, is that they are divided. They're divided right and left, like sheep and goats, right? They're divided right and left between the holy angels and the fallen angels. And the fallen angels, you say, what are they doing in heaven? Why are they still there? It's part of their ongoing ministry today and what they're doing today in serving Satan. They're up there arguing. They're up there accusing. They're up there volunteering, getting permission from God to afflict believers. And so uh, this is one of the functions that's going to disappear during the millennium and during the fullness of time. And so the Lord said, who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? So the human beings on earth are starting to launch a, a war campaign and God now is taking volunteers among the angels in heaven to cause an outcome, to bring about a result of, of this war, of this battle. So the Lord said, who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? So that unbelieving king of the northern kingdom of Israel is going to die in this process. And uh, one said this and another said that. <laughs> Ooh, you mean we get to kill a, a Jewish king? You know, they got all kinds of volunteers for that, okay? Coming from the side of the fallen angels, of course. There's no elect angel that would take part in such a thing. And a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, how? He wants to know what's your tactic, what's your method, what are you going to do? And so this evil spirit said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of his prophets, all his prophets. And so he said, you are to entice him and also prevail, go and do so. So now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Right? Isn't that deep? That's an amazing text right there. God gives permission. He works through permissive will, allowing these fallen angels to go and give false messages to these false prophets. But all of this becomes enticing to Ahab, to the king of Israel. And because God gave permission, the, the Bible is correct to say, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. Because God permitted it, God is doing it. See, through the agency of these fallen angels. All right. In any event, um, there's more to go on that. It happens. It's, it's kind of a hilarious chapter. Read through on your own time and read through all the ways that Ahab tried to hide himself in disguise. He told Jehoshaphat, go ahead and dress up like a king and lead him in the inner chariot. I'm going to put on a little you know, buck private costume over here and just pretend I'm a nobody. And uh, wouldn't you know it, this random arrow just happened to accidentally hit this nobody who was the king of Israel. Okay, It's a, anyway, it's a fun story. You can read through that. Um, and, and so we read a history book, right? We read a secular history book, and all it can record is, wow, a random arrow flew from a random bow. It hit a random guy, and it just happened to be, coincidentally, just happened to be the king. And you know, So a secular historian has no clue, has no way to write about the angels and God's sovereignty and how Jesus Christ controls history and how all of these things are coming together in the plan of God. But you and I are blessed to read the Scriptures and see these things for what they are. All right? Anyway, this is a present function for angels. It will diminish in the millennium. There will be less and less need for this as Jesus Christ is seated on the throne of David and ruling human affairs directly with His own personal sovereignty. Uh, from Jerusalem. 
How about Job 1.6? Uh, this is when uh, show and tell, when the angels show up and tell God what they've been learning. And um, it's part of the present function of angels. Job 1.6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Whatever day this is, and however regularly it happens, in chapter 2 we see it happens again. So there's a, a periodic reporting that they have to do. And I don't know, they're angels, they live a long time, maybe it's once a decade or once a year or whatever, but they, there's a day they have to report. And Satan uh, loves showing up and crashing the party and acting like he belongs there. Satan also came among them. And he said, the Lord said, what are you doing? From where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? All right, so we've taught this before. We understand this. Angels watch us. And then God quizzes them. All right, what have you learned? What have you learned? Hey, you've been checking out Austin Bible Church. What have you learned? And the angels get to report. The elect angels are going to complain. Yeah, there's a hedge. I can't get in there. You're protecting them. That's not fair. That's not right. Okay? The elect angels say, wow, that's a grace ministry. Say, I love that church. And then the angels will give a report on what they're learning. See? We'll see this again in Ephesians. Uh, Psalm 91. Man, I've got to go quick. This is Communion Sunday, and I always lose track of time on Communion Sunday. Psalm 91. This is a Bible verse that uh, Satan knows very well. He used it when he was tempting Jesus. You know, Satan will use the Bible when he's trying to get you to trip up. You know that? Satan knows the Bible better than you do. He's going to misquote verses. He's going to twist verses. He's going to get you thinking the Bible says what it doesn't say. And it's interesting. So he says... uh, He, Psalm 9:11. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So there's a function there, a protective function, a guardian angel function. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. All right. And so he used that as a temptation to tell Jesus, "Hey, go ahead and jump off this uh, high place here, and yeah, you'll be okay." You know, twisting a Bible verse to get Jesus to tempt the Lord. <clears throat> I notice Satan stopped. He read verse 11 and 12 and then he didn't quote verse 13 because verse 13 talks about stomping on snakes. (laughs) So uh, you will tread on the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Yeah, Satan didn't really feel compelled to, to quote that verse at all. Yeah, that gets a little too personal, I think, for the serpent. But think about it. When the lion lies down with the lamb... How many guardian angels will we need? When, uh, when, when there's no more animal violence on this earth, when there's no more disease on this earth, when, the, when the, we have perfect environment, okay? when there's no more hurricanes, all those hurricane angels are out of business. What are they going to do? All right? And uh, your, your guardian angel is, uh, is fired the day you get, you know, you're promoted to glory in the presence of Jesus Christ. So what we're seeing, and what this verse promises is that these are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. That they are decreasing. They are presently beings of glory. They're about to become beings of service. Whereas we are humble creatures that are about to be glorified. We are humble, 
dust creatures. We are, we are finite, mortal cockroaches in their view, okay, to, the, to the, the glorious power of an angel. You and I are pathetic. And yet we are humble about to be exalted and glorified. They are exalted and glorified about to be humbled. And that's what I'm trying to get across. So, Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verses 19 through 22. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. Right? That's it now. It's about to come to earth. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, but presently, though, the Lord has established His throne in heavens, and so the heavenly host are subject to Him. Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength, who perform His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, who serve Him, doing His will. Bless the Lord, all you works of His, and all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All right, so this is the present ministry of angels. They are to bless Him, they are to praise Him, they are to worship Him, and to do so where they're told to do so. Well, what happens if He tells them you're to do so for a thousand generations on the new earth in a servant capacity? Diminished, lessened, serving. Well, the elect angels will praise God and do so. Michael and Gabriel, and we don't know any other elect angel names, but the elect angels will praise God, they will worship God, and they will be humbled, and they will serve for a thousand generations on the new earth. Fallen angels, on the other hand, um, they've been in rebellion against this plan ever since Satan fell. Okay, Which is why we, we keep saying over and over again, if you don't understand the angelic conflict, then you will be fundamentally handicapped in your approach to the Word of God. You're going to have a, a blind spot. You're going to have a hang-up that, that you just can't overcome until you get the bigger picture that includes the angels. All right? And so we see it there. Daniel 4, it's a long chapter, but starting in verse 13, we have these angels in view. They're called watchers. They're called watchers, and they're going to give a decree to Nebuchadnezzar. I would encourage you as you read through this, because there are verses that sure make it sound like the angels are issuing the decree, but then they testify that no, they're simply reflecting a decree that comes from Yahweh Himself. So it is their decree, but it's their decree based upon what Yahweh told them to decree. And uh, they're called watchers, and these angels here. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. Behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one descended from heaven, he shouted and spoke as follows, and he gives a prophecy that Nebuchadnezzar is going to lose his mind for seven years, that he's going to have the mind of an animal, he's going to live in the backyard eating grass, and uh, his hair is going to grow, his nails are going to grow, and, and uh, he's going to have the mind of an animal for seven years until he gets his sanity back and he gets his kingdom back. But all through here we have the watchers. Verse 17, you have the watchers. The sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, plural, as a council, in order that the living may know. The living. 
That's different from the holy ones, isn't it? Who are the living? Okay, that's us. May know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom He wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. Don't complain if you don't like the president you got. God gave it to you. Okay? And I've noticed a lot of complaining since January. And then I also noticed a lot of complaining for eight years before that. And it just seems no matter who the president is, somebody's complaining. Okay? Half the country or the other. But guess what? We we get the, the king, the president, the ruler, the governor, the mayor, the neighborhood block captain. We get the authority that God assigns because God controls history. And we need to learn that. All right. So um, there's more to it. I encourage you to read chapter 4. And as you do so, you'll be very well relaxed over where our nation's headed, where the world's headed. Everything else is headed to destruction. (laughs) The new heavens and new earth are on the way. And so uh, we can be thankful for that. Now, um, the watching the nations, that function will continue throughout the millennium, but it will no longer be needed in the new heavens and new earth. We'll show some of those things as well. Some of these other functions are going to lessen during the millennium, and then they will disappear during the fullness of time. And so now we need to go to Ephesians, and I want you to see uh, a sequence from chapter 1 to chapter 2 to chapter 3. Ephesians 1. This was uh, Mike Snyder's favorite text. From verse 3 down to verse 14. In the midst of this, we have all the he's and him's and who's and all the pronouns. It's a powerful song that speaks of the glories of God the Father and what He accomplished through His Son and what He's blessed us with. And this is the passage that has in verse 10 the reference to the dispensation of the fullness of times. Okay? So everything he's done from eternity past and everything he's done up to the cross and everything he's done in the church age, everything he's done up till now, September, whatever this is, 10th, 2017, is that the year? All right. Whatever God's done from the alpha moment till today, he's still looking forward. He has never kept his, taken his eye off the goal. He's never taken his eye off the ball. What his eye is fixed to is the fullness of time. And so in verse 10, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. The church age is not the pinnacle of the Father's plan. He's looking forward to the fullness of time. This is a step along the way. And so in that step, we understand that uh, there's these great things that are happening here. So uh, these things are being subjected to Jesus Christ. Verse 15, for this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. All right? And I would say the same thing for you here today. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're saved. But here's what I'm praying for you. Because being saved is not enough. Just having eternal life is not the point. 
That's step one, so that you can get to the point. I'm glad of your faith. I'm glad for your love. Let's talk about your hope here. Are we looking forward? Are we looking forward? So that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. We want you to grow up in the Word of God. We want you to see all the dimensions of truth that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope, there it is, the hope of His calling. He's telling His audience here, you got faith, you got love, but you got to get a handle here on this hope. What is the hope of His calling? What are the riches of, his, of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? You think God's already been powerful in saving you? (laughs) Well, He has, but that's just a touch. That's just a down payment. That's just an appetizer. What you have in front of you in the resurrection and in the new heavens and new earth, that power has yet to be unveiled. There are dimensions of power we can't even imagine. But now notice, in accordance with the working and strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So there's a reason why you and I are so blessed to have Jesus Christ seated at the Father's right hand. No dispensation has ever had a risen, glorified, seated Savior interceding on their behalf that you and I have. Interceding and leading, operating as the head of the church. No stewardship has ever had that before the church age. And notice, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the angels, right? And every name that is named, did he not inherit a superior name than them? Notice now, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. See, the head of the church has been prepared for the fullness of time. You and I are still being prepared for the fullness of time, and we're not prepared yet. All right? My mother's prepared. Mike Snyder's prepared. Others that have departed are prepared. They have finished their course. They have run their race. But you and I, we're still here. We're still physically alive in our bodies. We're still being prepared. We're still being prepared for that, what the Father has never left his eyes off of, that summing up of all things in Christ. So it's not only this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. Hebrews says we haven't seen that yet. That'll happen in the age to come. And he gave him his head over all things to the church. That requires the completed church. That requires the rapture. That includes the entire bride, resurrected, glorified, prepared to fulfill this which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness isn't ready to fill. The fullness isn't full yet. There's still unbelievers. I hope it's today. I really hope it's today. Maybe it's somebody in this room. Maybe if there's somebody in this room that is not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, it could happen right here, right now. Because you don't have to get baptized. You don't have to walk an aisle. You just have to believe in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins. You can do it right, right, right where you're sitting. You don't have to tell anybody. Just do it right here, right now. 
And if you're the last member of the body of Christ that completes the bride, then the moment you receive that gift of eternal life, guess what? We're launching. We're out of here. How fun is that going to be? All right. So the uh, ages to come, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You get into chapter 2 and you notice verse 7 has an emphasis on the ages to come. Not here, not now, not the church age, not while we are still sinners in the flesh. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. Notice verse 7, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See that? That's the surpassing grace. That's the greater grace. That's the super grace. Pastor Theme taught super grace, right? That's what it is. But it's not here on this earth. It's in the ages to come. It's not while we're still sinners in the flesh. He shows a, a lot of grace while we're still sinners in the flesh. I'm not mocking that. I'm not minimizing that. Man, it is amazing grace, but we're going to have to find a different adjective beyond it. Amazing. For the grace of God that's going to be manifest in the new heavens and on the new earth. Because this verse says, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. How are we going to sing? You know, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've got to get a new song. Okay? Because we've done been there 10,000 years. We're still going to sing his praise, but it's greater grace than we could even imagine on this earth. All right. And then chapter 3 and verse 10. We are his, I'm sorry, chapter 3 and verse 10. See, there's the now, there's the now, and that's, I really gave chapter 3 as a contrast. Verse 9, bringing to light what is the administration of the mystery, that's, that's us right here right now in the church, the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now, presently, be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So right here, right now, God's manifesting wisdom. But in the ages to come, He's going to be manifesting the greater grace, the surpassing grace. So you see the difference? There's the now in this mystery stewardship. There's the ages to come in that uh, stewardship of the fullness of time. And so the angels are going to have those functions removed. They're going to be done away with. They're going to be abolished. When the need is no longer there, it's abolished. It's abolished. Now this process is described as abolishing all rule and all authority and all power. And so we have a text in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Not an in the beginning passage, but an at the end passage. What happens at the end? What happens at that omega moment? What happens when we reach the end of the world to come. We've finished a thousand generations. That thousandth generation grows to maturity. That thousandth generation grows and, and not only is born, but then ascends to their maturity at age 100 or what have you. And we have concluded the dispensation of the fullness of time. Then comes the end. And Jesus Christ is going to deliver the kingdom to God the Father that God may be all in all. We're going to cross into omega, into eternity future. The omega moment is being described here. So 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, then comes the end. 
when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. Let me tell you something. I have never, or rarely, if ever, have I had an acceptable preaching on that verse. Have I listened to one? Have I heard one? Have I been satisfied? Other than, because, I mean, what are you doing if you're abolishing, abolishing what are you, destroying angels? <laughs> abolishing all rule and authority and power? Is he just... Is God setting about to exterminate those angels? Or is their function coming to an end? Okay. Similar to abolishing prophecy and, and uh, tongues and, and, and uh, miracles and the, the temporary gifts that are abolished in chapter 13. Okay, same word. Same abolished. Katargeo, if you want to do a Greek word study on it. And so uh, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. But rule and authority and power, are those his enemies? Or are those the angels that he's assigned to watch? But that function is diminished. That function is removed. That function is done away with throughout the millennium and throughout the fullness of times. All right. And so the Son himself will be subjected to the Father that God may be all in all. There's that all in all passage. Okay. Stay tuned, we'll have more on that coming up as well. Presently exalted above humanity, today for a human being to revile angelic majesties, it is a tremendous expression of arrogance. For human beings today, false prophets will do this, false teachers will, will do this, they've been doing it since Second Peter and Jude, they've been doing it a long time. Presently today, Exalted above humanity, reviling angelic majesties is a tremendous expression of arrogance. However, the future exaltation of humanity will lower angels to their external servant function as the first become last. All right? And this is what God has designed. The future exaltation of humanity. So when a greater glory is revealed... What previously had glory is considered to have no glory at all in contrast to the glory that is now revealed. You remember that? There's a whole doctrine that centers on that, that centers on Mosaic law and the Moses face that was glowing and that glow that diminished and the glory that was disappearing because there's a greater glory that's revealed in Christ. Because you and I are New Testament believers. We have a, a New Testament. We have the reality of the church. So what previously had glory has no glory at all. And this will be the reality for the angels. They are presently exalted above humanity. All right? But that is coming to an end. And you see, remember when, when John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease? And what a testimony that was. And Jesus testified to say, that's the, that's the greatest of those born among women right there. Okay? recognizing that the exaltation of Christ is everything and for him to personally, he was delighted to be diminished. John the Baptist was thrilled to be diminished. The elect angels as well should be thrilled to be diminished, and I believe they are. There's no indication otherwise. For Michael and Gabriel and all the elect angels to accept their eternal destiny, whereas Satan and the fallen angels, they want no part of it. They refuse. Their whole, when you read Satan's five I wills, every one of them is self-promotion. 
Every one of them is how great he is or how great he thinks he is or how great he's going to be. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you at the proper time. And so the future exaltation of humanity will lower angels to their eternal servant function. And we already saw a glimpse of that in verse 7. We're going to see it again. Uh, We have it today in verse 14. Verse 7 said, uh, the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds, his ministers flame of fire. In verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service? Sent out to render service. And that's what they are. All right. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this truth. I thank you, Father, that ours is the destiny of present humility and humiliation to be saved by grace through faith. What a great salvation. Chapter 2 calls it so great salvation. And Father, on the basis of that salvation, we are exalted. We will be exalted for all eternity. Thank you for that. That position in Christ. And for the angels, Father, they are presently exalted with a future destiny of diminishment, a future destiny of humility. And I thank you that that, uh, you've designed these things for the last to be first and for the first to be last. Father, uh, what a plan. Um, Thank you for giving us just a little more glimpse today into a plan that we can spend the rest of our lives chewing on. Help us to chew on it, help us to swallow, help us to digest, help us to live out this truth that we're feasting on here today. And I do pray, Father, if we have uh, anybody here that does not know Christ, has not placed their faith in Christ, does not understand that the difference between heaven and hell is not good people versus bad people, or what we do, what we've deserved, it's the work of your Son. Do we believe in Jesus Christ? And if we place our faith in Christ, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank you for that. I pray that today can be a day that that happens. Father, uh, we preached it. Now we're going to demonstrate it. We're going to partake of communion. And I thank you for that blessing as well. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.